Christians who would offer themselves to be martyred and then oftentimes would end up um, backing out and actually bringing shame on the name of Christ. And the church concluded that it was best to not go looking for trouble. There's plenty of trouble that will find you. So that's the way the early Christians communicated sometimes is they would say, he is risen. And the person who didn't know Christ would just kind of like, hmm? And say, oh yeah, well, you know, see the game the other night. Uh, But when called upon to deny Christ or to say that Caesar is Lord, Christians refused to do so. And they said, Jesus is Lord and Jesus alone is Lord. So he is risen. Aren't you grateful that we can gather like this in our day and say that so openly without any concern that we've said it too loud and someone is going to report us and authorities will come. Uh, Praise the Lord. You know, there are, I, I, I wish I... Sometimes I wish I could preach and then we could sing. You cannot imagine how perfectly the songs support the message this morning. You just can't imagine. I Will Rise is really the theme of the message this morning from 1 Corinthians 15. There are a lot of beneficial ideas and activities in our lives that don't require our full commitment. In fact, advertisers play to that sense that, look, you, you don't have to be all, all that committed. Just give us a little money. We'll do the service for you. We'll do the work for you. Or the product will make your life much easier. You don't have to commit all that much. But here's something that will really enhance your life. Or you don't have to... You, it, there are not a lot of requirements. You don't have to meet all that much. Just once a week... On Thursdays, and you can be in the Ruritan Club. And hey, look, you're going to eat lunch anyway, right? Why not eat it with a bunch of business associates? It'll help your business. It'll, you'll enjoy the, the time with other people. Maximum benefit for little commitment. And that's the way a lot of people, maybe most people in America, view Christianity. Eternal security and able to live the good life as well. I mean, I, 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 there's just minimal commitment, maximum benefit. And look, if you want to go, you don't have to go all fanatical, but if you want to, there are incredible benefits for those who will call on the name of Jesus. You are a child of the king and you should live like it. This is a win-win-win situation. Well, well I agree that following Jesus is a win-win But it's not because I have all the blessings of heaven as I live this life. Life is not, this. the Christ life is not a life of of service or it's not a service to be accessed and enjoyed when I want to and then put on the shelf when I'm not feeling like it. It is, in fact, an all or nothing proposition. I... Perfection is the furthest thing from what I'm talking about. That's not goody-goody. That's not what I'm talking about. This life following Jesus is filled with difficulty, but also with great joy. 
And it begins, this life begins with what I believe about Jesus. Was he the best person who ever lived or was he more? Was he God come to the earth as 100% God and 100% human? How do you work that out? And look, if he's God in the flesh, how can he be the son of God? What, What about all of that stuff? Was there special significance to his death beyond just the fact that he was a great example of love? And what about the resurrection? Can I pick and choose what I'm going to be serious about believing and how I'm going to live my life, or is it an all-or-nothing proposition? Well, the short answer and the long answer is no. You know, this is one of those cases when I could say, is it this or is it this? And we would have said no instead of yes. No, I don't get to pick and choose. And the short and long answer is no. So let's just pray and go home. No, I will take a little time to give a little more explanation to the long answer part of no. But it's going to be the words of Scripture and not my personal opinions that will tell us why it's all or nothing. All 58 verses of 1 Corinthians 15. And are, are, are you warm? I don't want to, you know, go off again, you know, and say, it's hot! So... Maybe we could do it a little more. We were working with it, but if we could bring that down just a little more, it's kind of warm in here. And it's going to get a lot hotter when I... No, I'm just just kidding. Just kidding. All 58 verses of 1 Corinthians 15 deal with the resurrection, both with Jesus' personal resurrection and the future physical resurrection of the bodies of those who believe in him and who have died or those who are still alive when he returns. We're going to read 28 of those verses. And I hope that these verses so capture your heart and imagination that you have difficulty listening to the explanation that I give. My goodness. Sometimes, as I I prepare the sermon, I, I get it all written out, and I rewrite it. Some, some guys don't use any notes like Sean. You know, I just recognize at my age, if there are no notes, there's big trouble. Also, the fact that I can say it so much better if I write it, and re- all writing is rewriting. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm working with it, and then I'm reading through it, and, and I'm looking at the text, and I just get caught up in the text. I mean, the, the, the scripture just captures me sometimes, and it did this time. And I thought about saying, well, just let's just remain seated, and, and, and I want to give some explanation as a go. But look, let's just, let's just let the Holy Spirit do that for us as we read these 28 verses from 1 Corinthians 15. If you would, please stand and let the word wash over you. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. I I have to say a word about this because I won't come back to this, this text. Salvation... What we're going to be dealing with today 
is already not yet. Already we enjoy the blessings of salvation, but not like we will in the future. Already we enjoy all the blessings, the spiritual blessings of heaven, but it's nothing like it's going to be when we are resurrected from the dead or when Jesus returns, if we're fortunate enough to be alive when he returns. And, and so Paul is not saying that, look, uh, you, you're being saved, but you better be careful because of you. What he, the point he's making here is our beliefs, our commitment to, to truth, and, and thus our commitment to Jesus is an indication that we do belong to him. And it's a, it, it, it is a warning of sorts. Look, be careful. Don't walk away from this truth in which you stand. Don't do that. So he's saying again, all or nothing. Verse 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, many of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep or died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. Wouldn't you agree? But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep... <laughs> For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. After destroying every rule and every authority and and power. For he must reign until he has put his enemies under his feet. 
The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Hallelujah. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. That's kind of like, can God make a rock so big that he can't? That's just, don't be silly, is what Paul is saying. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. In other words, even Jesus is in subjection, under subjection to the Father. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for what this day represents. The, the occasion that brings us here together. Lord, the, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We pray that the resurrected Jesus will come alive in our hearts. For those who don't know him. May this be the day. When they are found. And for those of us who do. May this Fire burn in our hearts anew. We're so grateful for the work of Jesus. For your love, Father, for sending him. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Well, it's obvious from Paul's tone that he's arguing a point. He he was defending the truth of, of, of Jesus' re- resurrection. Now, now, it's not surprising that he felt the need to do so in the, in the uh, Greco-Roman world. Um, most, it, it, many, let me say, if not most intelligent people of the day denied any kind of life after death. They thought, in the grave, that's it. Or if it is anything, it's nothing special. It's no big deal. So it's no surprise that Paul encountered skepticism when he shared the gospel. It is quite surprising, though, that he felt compelled to defend the doctrine of Jesus' resurrection to the church. And yet, he did. It's amazing how easily we are swayed when we pay too much attention to the kingdom of this world and too little attention to the kingdom of God and God's word. Now, if we were to give out slips of paper and said, you know, we're going to send an offering plate around and just check yes or no. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Even though it's anonymous, I'm going to guess that we'll have a pretty high percentage, 90, maybe even 100% of us would say, yes, I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. Well, according to Paul, if that's the case, our lives ought to reflect that. Again, not perfection. But we ought to be pursuing the things that are important to this resurrected Christ, who is the head of the church Our text indicates that we can't pick and choose what we believe, nor can we live in a casual manner. It's all or nothing. If we believe, it will be evident to others. The resurrection ought to radically define who we are. So hopefully your Bibles are already open in 1 Corinthians 15. Keep them there because it's only one little place we're going to have some of that on the screen, but you're going to want to refer back to it. So, so as, we, as we go to 1 Corinthians 15, these first 28 verses, let's think about 
three ways that the gospel changes us and, and, and how it shows it in, in our lives. First, our lives will reveal that we, it's very evident to us that we are in, a, in possession of a story that needs to be told. Have you seen the news lately about cancer research? It, it's pretty remarkable what is going on. I mean, great strides are being made in, in, in finding a cure for cancer. Scientists, medical researchers are working together now. Doctors, they're all working together. They used to be little independent groups, and they were all vying for the same dollars. Believe it or not, a bunch of actors in Hollywood said, let's just get over this and let's pour huge amounts of money and let's get people working together. And they're doing it. And they are reducing times from discovering a new strain of cancer to, to dealing with uh, trying to find ways to attack that from, from 30 years to 10 years to 2 years. It is amazing the work that is being done. And a lot of people think we're on the cusp of something great. Not tomorrow, but in the very near future. Now, my daughter sent me a link Fox News had some article that said the cure has been found. I haven't seen that anywhere else. I'm going based on an article I read a few weeks ago in Time Magazine and what other stuff that I've been hearing that there is great progress being made. Now, this analogy has been made so many times before. But in light of all that's going on right now, it's, it, it's a good time to make this analogy. What if you discovered, what if we all found out that they'd had this cure for 20 years and they'd been sitting on it because the pharmaceutical industry, the medical industry is so powerful that they recognize the devastating effect it would have on their profits. So they've been sitting on the cure for cancer. There would be outrage. In fact, people would be thrown in jail Death penalty would be given if possible because you sat on something that would have saved my loved one. So what's our excuse for holding the gospel so close to the vest? I mean, the story of Jesus is the story of life and death, but it's so much more than whether or not a person's going to live a long life or not. It's eternal destiny that is at stake. So if we believe this gospel, how can we possibly keep it to ourselves? <laughs> In 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul said to, to, to the, his readers there, he said, You remember when I came to you, I had been shamefully treated in, in Philippi. But I came and preached the gospel boldly. Look, if any of us had been treated like Paul was in Philippi, and we knew that was waiting for us, thrown in prison, beaten, severely beaten. I don't know that we would be running to the next town to do it again. But there was this compulsion in Paul that made him go and tell the gospel with boldness. Now, I recognize that, that sharing the gospel it's easier for some of you than it is for others. And, and I, I, am, I don't know exactly how I feel about this, but I, I, I'm going to say it anyway. 
the body of Christ, when the body of Christ is functioning like it should, it's a great testimony. It's a great gospel presentation to the lost. Friday night, oh, I wish every one of you could have been here Friday night. Zeev Nevo, I finally got his name right. But he called me Pastor David all night, so that's all right. I don't care. I'm not worried about it. Jewish man who heard the gospel and responded and said, I do believe that Jesus was and is indeed the Messiah. Prayed for his father and mother, and just a year before his father died, he received Christ. And a year before his mother died, she received Christ. And he told the story of how she came to to faith in Jesus. This lady from Sri Lanka, uh, who had been Muslim, converted to Christianity. Buddhist, that's right. Buddhist, she had been Buddhist. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. I'm surprised it didn't come from this general direction over here. (laughs) She had been Buddhist and she converted to Christ and she came to Israel, to Jerusalem to take care because of the way social medicine works, he, he informed us. She came to take care of his mom and not when she shared the gospel with him. She'd been hearing the gospel from her son for years. But when she saw The joy that they had in one another as fellow believers. That's when she came to Christ. Listen, if... Oh boy, I've got the babies upset now. When when our body functions in love, what did Jesus say? Hereby shall all men know you are my disciples because you have love for one another. And while... I don't want to stand up here and chastise you for doing something that it feels like within you you absolutely cannot do. I do want to encourage you strongly to get involved in the body. Be involved in this body. There are lots of ways you can serve. And as you do, we tell the world there's something special about what Jesus is doing here. And people are attracted and they come to faith in Christ. Now, if that doesn't mean don't share. If you are scared to death to talk to somebody about Jesus, know this. Anytime you say anything about sin, about gospel, about, look, I am so dependent on Jesus. There's no way I could, you know, I'm not good enough. None of us are good enough. You don't have to go down the Roman road the entire way. i I think I shared this with you. And look, if I had an example from you, I would share it from you. But this just happens to be my example. I was having a minor procedure in which they were going to put me out about a year ago, thankfully. And just before I went under, this, the anesthesiologist was in there. And he asked me, he said, what do you do? I said, I'm a pastor. You know, of course, that always. And he said, oh, then you need to talk to this woman right here. You need to talk to this woman. And she said, yeah, I need it. I said, you know, in my experience, uh, the folks that understand that they need it are not the ones that need to hear it. And he went, ah, so you think I need to hear it? Well, you know what? I was, yes, that's what I was saying. And you know what? He got it. And I didn't tell him about Jesus dying on the cross and resurrection, but that was a gospel interaction. And we have opportunities to do that all along. Look, if they tell us that it takes at least 
people hearing the, the gospel at least seven times before they come to faith in Christ. There are all different ways that the gospel is shared. The gospel, if we think of the gospel only as the plan of salvation, then that's the only way we can share it. But when we recognize that it's all of life, it's all of scripture, it's everywhere. This story, God shows it over and over and over. He shows it in pagan religions. That's why Paul can quote pagan philosophers and poets and it becomes scripture. Because the truth of God is everywhere. Find ways to share this story because it's too good to sit on. Let's stop right now and ask God to give us opportunities, give us a heart to share the gospel and the courage to do it when the opportunities present themselves. Let, just, just in your heart, just ask the Lord to do that. Sean's already done this to a degree. Just say, Lord, let me share Jesus. Find ways that I can do it. Okay, if, you, if I've cut you off, you can, can, you can finish that later. In addition to knowing and possessing a story that needs to be told, because of the resurrection, we are blessed with a hope that should inform the way that we think and live. Now, look, believe me, I would like, just in my own story, to say we are ble- I am blessed with a hope that informs the way that I think and live. We are blessed with the hope that should inform the way that we think and live. <clears throat> when you look at 1 Corinthians 15, you get the sense that, that Paul is making a case to Christians for the resurrection. He's, he's making, well, <clears throat> he's really making the case to the world at first, the gospel story, when he's telling the gospel story. <clears throat> and he's making a case that we're unable to make. He said, look, you don't believe the resurrection of Jesus? I can tell you almost 500 people who were there. You can go and check it out if you want to. We don't get to say that. But we do get to say what we have seen to be true in our lives. And this chapter, as all through 1 Corinthians, Paul was combating a sinister belief that we all enjoy that we enjoy as as Christ followers all the blessings of God in this life right now. Now it's true that we have been blessed, according to Ephesians 1.3, with all spiritual blessings in heavenlies, in the heavenlies, in heavenly places. That's true. But it is not true that we live the resurrected life right now. You know, we've told this cycle of the gospel over and over here. The fall, uh, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. One day, we get glimpses of what life is going to be like, but we're, we are never in this life going to see life as it was in the Garden of Eden and how it's going to be in the restored garden in the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. <clears throat> One day it will be that, but it's not here now. We still live in a fallen world, and, per- and to pretend that our relationship with Jesus means that we're not going to suffer in this life, but that God will do 
for us whatever we ask of him. Such a belief is far more dangerous than you might think. A lot of Christians never take the time to think about the consequences of their beliefs. As odd as it may seem to you, one of the great heresies of the first century, in fact, one of the primary heresies that Paul fought against was the prosperity gospel. You think about, really? In the, yes, absolutely so. In fact, Paul was dealing with the implications and the, and the applications, the outworking of the prosperity gospel all the way through Corinthian, 1 Corinthians. I mean, the Corinthians believed that, <clears throat> that blessings, material blessings were a sign of God's favor and that judgment was a sign, poverty was a sign of God's judgment, which is flat out amazing in the light of Jesus' teaching. Now, this trail may be difficult for you to follow. I'm going to back it up with Scripture in just a moment. This was Paul's logic. Look, remember, this was a day not too many years after Aristotle and and Aristotelian logic. If this happens, this, then therefore this, this, and this, which is why Paul had to say, well, all things will be subjected unto him, except, of course, the one who is subjecting all things because people's minds just went down these logical trails that led them to some really bizarre places. And while we don't go as far as them, we get pretty far down the road, which is why it's important for us to understand. So here is what people were saying in that day. If we say that we have all heavenly blessings right now, all the blessings of heaven, means that we already enjoy the resurrected life. In fact, the resurrection has happened in the past for believers, which means that there is no resurrection in the future. And if there is no resurrection, then Jesus has not been raised from the dead. It's all spiritual stuff that we're talking about that develops into material blessings while we live on this earth. Does that seem like a huge stretch to you? Like I say, we get a lot closer to that than you would believe. Let, let's take a look at how it played out. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul accused Hymenaeus and Philetus of <clears throat> swerving from the faith, saying that the resurrection had already passed, or perverting the truth, saying that the resurrection had already passed. In fact, Many of Paul's opponents pointed his persecution and his poverty, really. He he went around with very little to his name. They pointed to that as a sign of God's disfavor and God's judgment on him. Think about what was going on in Corinth. People lined up behind particular preachers and they said, This Paul, who is this Paul? He's ugly as sin. I'm telling you. There's so much more. Every week I just think, oh my goodness, I wish I could just tell you everything that I learned. Look, I hadn't planned to do this, but let me, let me do it. It's just, it's too important. When Paul said, I was one untimely born, the Greek there indicates, you could actually say Paul was saying, I was an abortion. Perhaps, some of Paul's opponents had particularly said that. You think God's going to use that 
You kidding me? It's like an abortion. So Paul said, when I came to be an apostle, it was untimely. You know what? God used even this abortion to accomplish his will. And so they would look at Paul and they would say, come on, do you think if, 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 if you were enjoying the blessings of God, that he would be treating you like this? Judgment all the time. Things are not going like they want to. Where is your God? It's not where is your God. It's where is your faith, Paul. Do you know how many times I heard that when Linda was sick? Where is your faith? If you'll just do this, this, and this, and if you'll believe, God will heal her. These Corinthians sued one another because they had this sense of entitlement. Furthermore, when they came together for the love feast at which communion was observed, the rich, who were clearly blessed of God, withheld from the poor, who were just as clearly judged by God, because they didn't want to participate. Are you kidding me? Look at what God's doing to them. You want me to participate in that? Again, amazing in the light of the teachings of Jesus. Paul was horrified by this practice, and he said, you know what, God's, some of you are sick for this very reason, and others are dead already. Because you participated in this heresy. Verses 12 to 13 of our text make it obvious that the wrong belief had ripened to full-blown heresy at Corinth. Some didn't believe that the bodies of Christians were going to be resurrected. And to that, Paul said, if there's no resurrection for the future, then Jesus hasn't been resurrected. And if that's true, your faith is in vain. We're liars in what we proclaim. Why? Because we have been found to be believing a fairy tale, which is why we are of all people most miserable. You ever met somebody, when you tried to share the gospel, they say, I, you know what, I live by Aesop's fables. You know, that's, that's what I base my life on. Well, Look, if Jesus hasn't been resurrected, that's exactly what we're doing. We're, we're, living, we're believing in living a fairy tale. And if there's no resurrection, resurrection, this life is all there is. And Paul's saying, contrary to the idea that God will just dump it on you now, look, just go live the way you want to. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But Paul went on to say that the resurrection is real. And again, I'm confident that almost all of you believe that or you wouldn't be here today. We were doomed to eternal destruction because of the sin of Adam, who represented all of us. But there is life for those who believe in Jesus, believe that he came, as Sean said and said again in his prayer, to live the life that we were incapable of living and to die a death that we deserved with all of the wrath of God poured out on him. That's the gospel. And when, when Jesus said, it is finished, he didn't say, as I read the other day, I am finished. He said, it is finished. God poured out his wrath. The offering that Jesus gave was done on the cross and by resurrecting Jesus, the Father showed that he accepted his sacrifice. And by believing that Jesus died for us, our sins are forgiven. 
And in so doing, we receive the promise of our own resurrection. The body will die because of sin that entered Adam through Adam. But it will be resurrected in Christ. Now, how is this all playing? Look, we're kidding ourselves if we think that we're going to get through this life trouble-free. I mean, the prosperity gospel is alive and well in America. They do not. The people who preach the prosperity gospel in no way come to the conclusion that the resurrection didn't occur, that we're just living the resurrected life and that's the resurrection, you know, it's no beef. That is not, that heresy is not part of the modern 21st century prosperity gospel. But even so, there is great danger in this prosperity gospel. The fact that if I, as a child of the king, am living as I should, and if I pray and if I believe, God will do all things good for me. Not all things well. He will not do all things well. But he will do all things good for me. And I can have anything I want. And I am blessed so that I can bless others. Yes, but man, I sure am blessed. I, any physical or emotional or, or mental ailment can be overcome through believing prayer. But you see, that's, I say the 21st century, I should say the 21st century Western world. The majority world, 75% plus of the world's never going to be rich. I don't care how much faith they have. Circumstances are not going to allow it. Even being aware of this, those who enjoy material blessings and believe that we have all the benefits of heaven while we're here on earth, all the benefits of the new heaven and the new earth, will often criticize those who have less in this life or who lose a job or who die with cancer. Somebody just didn't believe enough. So what? We have no hope in this life? No. We have a great hope. The hope is in the resurrection. The resurrection of Christ that promises we will be resurrected and live eternally with Jesus. Regardless of present circumstances and conditions, the hope of eternal life when Jesus returns and and our bodies will be resurrected to live with him eternally is something that almost nobody has in this life. Peace, eternal security, hope in the biblical sense of the word. By the way, to say that our bodies will be resurrected and then we'll enjoy, doesn't mean that our souls sleep when we die, even though the body stays here and decays. Paul said in the second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 5, to be away from the body is to be present with the Lord. But our bodies will be resurrected and everything will be restored to the way it was intended in the garden of Eden. And that ought to impact the way that we live now. We ought to live as those who have hope. In fact, when someone dies, what did Paul say? We don't grieve in the same way that those who have no hope. We grieve, but when we have hope, it changes our perspective about everything. Well, last, Jesus' resurrection should help us understand that we have a Father who is worthy.
of our submission. So how many of you want to control your lives? Look, never mind. We all want to control. Every single person in here wants to be God of your life anyway. Now, if, if, if we could just put our hands, our lives, excuse me, in the hands of some of them, someone that we completely trust and who has significant resources and exceptional wisdom, well, that would be okay, right? And so we tend to look for someone who meets all of those qualifications all the time, ignoring the only one who has all of those resources and has that kind of love and wisdom that puts our life in the way it should be. God the Father. Verse 28 tells us that even Jesus is submissive to the Father, yet we fight daily for control of our lives. God the Father planned our salvation before the world began. It was the Father who sent the Son to die for us. There's far more in the New Testament about God's love for us than Jesus' love for us, the Father's love. In his love, he sent the Son to die for us. And the greatest act of love ever is if a man laid down his life for his friends, and especially the death that Jesus died. So I'm not diminishing the love of Jesus. I'm just saying it's the Father to whom we submit. His plan that has been made for us has been made in love. He sent his son. He rose. He raised his son from the dead. He's the one who saved us and gave us certainty of eternal life. And he is worthy of our submission. Even though there is great trouble in this life. And even though our great hope is in the return of Jesus. There is a great deal of joy and blessing in the life that is submissive to the Father. Think about why we are so restless and we're so troubled and we walk around, you know, Pigpen walked around with that cloud of dust at his feet. We walk around with the cloud that's over our heads because we are trying to control our lives and we're not doing a very good job. So what is it in your life that is so totally out of control today? I mean, does it have something to do with work or your lack of work, not, not having a job? Maybe things, maybe you've got a job, but oh my goodness, you wouldn't wor- wish it on your worst enemy's dog to work in the place where you work, you know? Is your marriage not what you had hoped it would be? Or is there some other relationship that is just fractured? Is it someone close to you who is very sick? And maybe you don't have the kind of support that you would like to have in your lonely, your hour of loneliness. Is it your inability to overcome a particular sin? Now don't don't get any kind of wrong ideas about this all or nothing life. As I've said two or three times, it's not about perfection. And some of you struggle with the sin that you just can't seem to get control over. And here's why. Oftentimes, most of the time, our struggle with a particular sin, with with lust or with gossip or with spending money or um, with causing dissension and division. Some people are just not happy unless they're stirring up trouble. Whatever sin it is that, 
that, that we struggle with. Oftentimes it's because there are other areas of our lives that are out of control. And we say, well, you know what? I can control this. I mean, you don't say that. But it's what's happening. And then, of course, that sin very quickly controls you. So, again, all or nothing. We submit to the Father who is worthy of our submission. Or we cede control. Well, Satan's beating me up. Yeah, well, I find that usually when Satan's beating me up, I've given him the stick, you know, to do the beating. And sometimes I say, no, that's, the, that's not enough. Here, take this stick, you know. This one will hurt worse. Boom. Just put ourselves in places where sin's grip throws us totally out of control. If... If the resurrection is true and Jesus is our Savior, then we have a Father who is worthy of our submission. Worthy in every way. He's worthy regardless of what He does for us. But when we totally submit, He guides our life in the way that is right. And regardless of how difficult it is, our hearts affirm. That it's right. Because it's God's will. Resurrection means that we can overcome. But we'll never be free from all sin and pain and sorrow in this life. And what we do overcome now is not overcome on our own. It's only overcome as we submit to the Father. That's why there's both necessity and blessing in yielding to the Father. So let's just give up. Let's just give up. Let's do it now. Would you please bow your heads? Allison read a Tim Keller quote to me this morning. <laughs> you know it's not any good, but I'll, I'll share it anyway. Just kidding. You know it is good. If we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, we must accept his teaching. If we believe that he did not rise, then why bother? The question is, do we believe the resurrection of Jesus? This morning, we will affirm our belief in Jesus' finished work on the cross. And his resurrection, as we sing, it is finished. We'll take a benevolence offering as we do every Last Sunday of the month. Recognizing that far from believing that those who are in need are cursed. We have the privilege of sharing what God has given us in this time. With those who are finding life to be a struggle at the moment. We bless them as they submit to the Father. Our time may come to receive. We we give this morning and it is a time to give. But if the time comes that we need to receive the help of our brothers and sisters, that's where our humility is really challenged. This morning, as we celebrate the resurrection, we recognize that Jesus was resurrected from a particular death, a death to which we are called to share as we live 
in the shadow, but also in the power of the cross. Praise be to God. He is risen. He is. Would you stand for the benediction? God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good so that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. He is risen.